Welcome to Dads with Daughters. In this show, we spotlight dads, resources, and more to help you be the best dad you can be. Welcome back to the Dads with Daughters podcast, where we bring you guests to be active participants in your daughters' lives, raising them to be strong, independent women. Really excited to have you back again this week in this journey that we are on in raising our daughters. And as you and I both know, it is a journey, not a destination, and definitely something that each of us have to go through with our daughters, but we can learn so much from other dads in the journey that they've been on and learning the things that worked well, learning the things that might not have worked well, and and also learn things along the way that can help us be the best dads that we can be. And that's why every week I love being able to bring you different guests that can share with you the journey that they have been on. And today we got an amazing guest joining us. Colonel Terry Verts is joining us today. And Terry is a father of a daughter. We're going to talk about that. But Terry is also a retired astronaut. And we're going to talk about a a brand new book that he has out as well. Um, Terry had the opportunity to, to spend over seven months in space during his two space flights, piloting the Space Shuttle Endeavor on STS-130 in 2010 and commanding the International Space Station during Expedition 42 and 43. He's an avid photographer and has taken the most ever photographs in space, more than 319,000 images altogether. And I thought I took a lot of pictures. That's a lot of pictures. He served in the Air Force as a fighter pilot, a test pilot, a NASA astronaut, and is a graduate of the U.S. Air Force Academy, Embry-Riddle Aeronautical University, and Harvard Business School. So I'm really excited to be able to talk with him today, talk to him about his book, and also about his journey as a dad. Terry, thanks so much for being here today. Thanks for having me on. It is my pleasure having you on. I love being able to talk to dads about the journey that they have been on. And and it's going to be interesting to talk to you about the journey that you've been on with the experiences that you've had. One of the things that I love doing is turning the clock back in time. I know your daughter's 21 and I would love to go all the way back, all the way back to that first moment that you found out that you were going to be a dad to a daughter, what was going through your head? I was at NASA in a class for space shuttle. I forgot what system we were learning about the space shuttle and they got a call, hey, it's happening. So I jumped out of my car and I went speeding home and there was a movie, I think it was a Robert De Niro movie and Ben Stiller, it was a comedy where he was driving and the light turned red and then he would step on the gas and then a hundred feet later, another red light and step on the gas another feet later, another red light. And that was me literally on NASA Road 1, which is the main road here in Houston. Normally, I drive like a grandpa, but I was I was speeding and literally every light turned red. So that was funny. I love that story because it 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 always seems to go that way when you're when you're in a hurry to get somewhere. Now, as I said, your daughter's 21, and I'm sure over the years you've had to work hard to be able to connect with your daughter in many different ways. And a lot of dads tell me that in having their daughter there's some fear. There's some fear in raising daughters. What would you say was your biggest fear in raising a daughter? So I've got son and daughter. They say with a son, you just have to worry about your son, but with a daughter, you have to worry about every other boy in town. (laughs) So that's probably one of them. And look, I'm a fighter pilot. I'm not like an emotional guy and stuff. So I guess that's a concern that a lot of dads have. I always try to do things that my daughter liked. And so I coached a lot of her sports. I coached soccer, and basketball and 
she played some other things. We did some trips together, like it wasn't a daughter. It was like a father kid camping trip with a church group. And I always try to take my kids on with just me every once in a while on a trip, even if it's just for a day or a couple of days. So that, that kind of stuff helped connect a lot doing in one-on-one trips with your kids. I definitely hear you with that and have had those experiences myself and making those connections is important. And I'm sure that in all of the things that I mentioned in that bio, all of the things that have kept you very busy in your professional career, you've had to balance a lot, balance the, the work, balance the career, balance being a father. Talk to me about balance. How did you balance all of that, especially when you were on mission, away, and still trying to keep those connections strong with your, your daughter? Yeah, balance is tough because... I mean, sometimes your job is busy, like you have to work. Basically, so at NASA, when you're in the Air Force or at NASA, like there's times in your life when you're on a mission and you're just gone and you have to be. So when you're not in those times, you should make the most of your downtimes, I guess is what I'm saying. Now, some people have nine to five accounting jobs and it's, well, if you're an accountant in April, in February, March, April, you're super busy. So in June, you should take a month off and go on vacation, you know, so I think that's the key is is take advantage of your downtimes because the busy times, at least in my job, I, it was unavoidable. Most people are understanding. But when I think back on the last 20 years, I don't like remember all the meetings I was in. I remember the sports games or the vacations. Personally, that's what I remember. So raising kids is never easy. And there are definitely really positive times, but there's sometimes challenges as well. What would you say is what has been the hardest part? of being a father to a daughter? I think sometimes not understanding because there's a difference between boys and girls and it's biological and there's definitely a difference, but it's cool. Like I like that's vive la différence, right? It's a good thing. Actually, I worry more for boys than girls today. The concerns have changed a lot, but like just with video gaming and devices and all kids are susceptible to that. I think for boys, they tend to just glom on and lose track with reality. They, those devices are really good at capturing our attention, especially for boys, but for girls also, but they talk about social media now, and it's really a problem. Like my daughter's super smart. She's very wise and she just totally avoids that stuff. But man, it's so toxic for kids and for both boys and girls, but especially girls, you really have to do that. I have a, a good friend who he's a doctor. Both of his kids are doctors. They have, they're grandchildren are amazing. And they were, I had lunch with them the other, they're in high school and they still don't have a phone and the kids like it. They're totally eyes open. They just made a conscious decision that, Hey, we're going to avoid, you miss out on some stuff. I'm not saying everybody should do that, but they were amazing kids, very polite, you know, smart. So you really have to manage the digital world because Facebook and Instagram and TikTok are not there because they care about your kids. They're there because they monetize your kids. Your kids are the product, right? So um, you you just have to have your eyes wide open for that. Now, you mentioned earlier that one of the things that allowed for you to connect with your daughter was that you coached her teams, you were engaged in different ways, you found those opportunities to be able to find trips or to do trips with your kids in that way too. Every child is a little bit different and you have to connect with your children a little bit different. When you think back to the years with your daughter, what's the favorite thing that you and your daughter loved to share together? I think food, like she's a really great 
cook. She loves to bake and cook. And she took a couple years of culinary in high school. So she would, and I like never set foot in the kitchen for many years. So <laughs> she kind of taught me food. And she also, so I was a French minor in college. I was weird. I was a applied math major in French minor. I used to read French to her. She's mad because I didn't speak enough French for her. Now she's a French major in college, but we've done some trips to France. And like, that's something that we definitely connect on. In fact, she's on a semester abroad, 30 minutes from where I did a semester abroad in Southern France right now. So that's a pretty cool connection, but probably food language. She's a book person. She reads like a book a day. She's insane. And I really could not get into the books she was reading, like all this young adult stuff that is just not my thing. Like I'm not really a Harry Potter guy, but she loved it. Like watched every movie 10 times and read all the books. So Sometimes you just have to do whatever your kid is. It's possible that they're not going to be like you. So you have to encourage their strengths and not try and make them exactly the way you are. So true. Now, I mentioned at the beginning that you've got a brand new book called The Astronaut's Guide to Leaving the Planet. And and I'm seeing a, a copy of it right now. And I think that so many kids have dreams of going to space, but... So many people, so many kids don't exactly know how you get there. I know as a kid, I would draw the space shuttle and I would draw a rocket. And I always thought it would be amazing to be an astronaut. But the reality of getting there and being able to understand the trajectory, per se, is not always an easy thing to do. Can you tell me about the journey that you went on to be able to go from that person that went to the Air Force to becoming. So the book is kind of laid out like that. It starts off with the early space explorers and then training and how to become an astronaut and then launch. And it, it kind of takes you through the whole mission. For me, it started with a book. I read a book when I was a little kid about Apollo and I was hooked. And I grew up with airplane and rocket and space pictures on, on my wall. And then I didn't know, it wasn't like my parents were astronauts or anything. But as a teenager, a family friend told me to read the right stuff. So I got the right stuff from the library and read that book. And it was amazing. But it, it told you how to become an astronaut. So I kind of followed in those guys' footsteps, being a fighter pilot and then test pilot and then astronaut. And it was great. I mean, I loved it. But your odds of getting picked are pretty low. So I think if you have a kid that wants to be an astronaut, tell them, go for it. But the most important thing is do what you love. Like for me, being a pilot was fun. So I did well at it. If you do what you love, you're going to do well at it. And then if you get picked to be an astronaut, great. If you don't, at least you're doing what you love and you can try again and stuff. So that was kind of my journey to getting picked. And I got lucky. I was I was selected at a very young age. You know, one of the things that I wanted to ask you about in being an astronaut and with the fact that you took so many pictures, when you are outside of the earth, and you're looking down in, in that vastness of space that things, I'm sure, look very different. And you get a different perspective of your place in the world. About that and how that impacted you. But then how do you reflect that to your own kids in explaining that experience, but also being able to help them to better understand that experience for themselves and how it relates. Well, that's interesting. I don't know that I've ever even talked to them about this. So here's a funny story. I'll, I'll tell you about Earth here in a second. This is 10 years ago. It was when LeBron first won his first championship. 
and we like basketball. My I was coaching my daughter's basketball, and we're sitting on the couch watching the championships, and they were interviewing LeBron. And my daughter <laughs> looked at me and said, "Dad, why can't you be more like LeBron James?" And so I was like, "Well, there's some important differences." He's from Ohio and I'm from Maryland is one. It, anyway, kids are just not that impressed with that. They're always impressed by somebody else. So that's something the way it is. But yeah, looking at the planet, I'm all doing a speech today. That's what I do professionally is speaking. I could talk for hours about it. It's I think the way it changed me just seeing the earth, it made me realize that, man, this that planet's been around for a long time. It's going to be around for a long time. So you probably don't need to get too upset about things or excited about things. It's also hard. So I think I'm less of a black and white person. I'm more of a shades of gray person about most things. Some things are right and wrong. Like what Russia is doing in Ukraine is wrong. There's no black and white there. But in most areas of life, there's shades of gray. So I think being in space changed me in that way. It's also really hard to be impressed by celebrities. Like when you see the planet, I've got a, you can't see on the Zoom background is one of the pictures that I took. I think, so this is maybe not celebrities, but I know like youth sports are a big thing or dancing or whatever. And it's possible for parents to spend thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars and lots of time. And the reality is your kid is probably not going to be a professional, whatever it is you're doing. So I love sports. I, we coached all, all kinds of sports. We did some of my favorite memories were going on tournaments on the weekends, but you just ha- kind of have to have your eyes wide open that you're, if you're doing that for family time and fun, that's great. But a lot of parents, I don't know, they get too overly excited about their kids. And then when they're my kid's age in college, that they would much rather have a 529 plan with some money in it than having spent all that money on whatever when they were 10 years old. So I don't know if that came from seeing the planet from space, but that's one of the nuggets of wisdom that I had, you know, enjoy those activities, but saving some money for college might be a better use. My son actually came home one day. My son was a great athlete, three sport athlete. He, he's really good. And he said, dad, I'm going to stop playing this one sport. I'm going to make a lot more money as an engineer than I am as a baseball player. So, and it, it, he was in high school and it, I'm like, you're right, actually. <laughs> you are. Anyway, that was one of the perspectives that I've gotten having been a dad. Appreciate you sharing that. Now, you talked a little bit about that the book is set up in such a way that you kind of look at the history of space travel, you look at the training. Talk to me about the training because I know over the years I've I've kind of seen some documentaries and I've seen some things like that, but seeing that you've gone through it. And you've had to train to go into space and to be in space for longer periods of time. Talk to me about the training that you have to go to or that anyone would have to go through to be able to train to go into outer space. Yeah. So when you show up at NASA, you're an ASCAN, an astronaut candidate. And you go through, for me, it was about a year and a half. We had to learn the space shuttle and space station. Now there's no more space shuttle, but there are capsules. And so that that training always gets changed, but you go through your ASCAN training and then you get in line to wait and they give you different ground jobs. I was a Capcom. So I was the guy at Mission Control that talks on the radio to the crew in space. I was the T-38 guy. So we fly jets. It's the most important training for astronauts. I was the astronaut in charge of that program. I was the astronaut rep for the SLS rocket, the big rocket we have now. I was in charge of the robotics office. I was in charge of PR, so I had to go wrangle astronauts and send them off to congressional high school inaugurations or whatever. So I had all these different ground jobs for years. And when I was there, you had to wait forever. Now they're flying the guys, the new astronauts pretty quick. But when I showed up, it was like an 
everybody had to wait between eight and 12 years for a lot of reasons. So anyway, so you, you spend that time and then eventually you get assigned to a mission and that's your next big training. And for a shuttle flight, it was about a year for a station flight. It was about two years, but you have to do things like learn the capsule that you're going to launch on, learn how to do robotics. There's a big robotic arm that captures cargo ships and attaches them to the station. All the different science that you're going to do handle emergencies on the space station. I was a crew medical officer, so I'm a pilot. But I was actually like the quote unquote doctor in space. So I had to do a lot of medical training, which I loved. Actually, that was really great. So anyway, there's a lot of different things that you have to learn. You do your initial training and then you get in line and wait. And then when it's your time for a mission, you do more mission specific training. How does the mission training change? Because you did go into, I mean, outside of, I understand that you know, if you're in a space shuttle, there's specific training about the space shuttle itself, or if you're on the space station, you know, what it takes to run and to maintain that. Is there different specific physical training that you have to do based on the different pieces or different missions that you're on as well? Well, for spacewalking, especially, there's a big detector called AMS, and it's looking for basically dark matter. It's on the outside of the station, and it it needs to be really, really cold, super cold helium and the helium leaked out, so they had to replace that. So the station crew who was there for that had to go through some really specific, like, how do you swap out this piece? So sometimes your spacewalk training is specific, but on the shuttle, it was totally specific because each shuttle had a different. I attached node three and the cupola. Those are my two big tasks on my shuttle flight. But when I went back on the space station mission for 200 days, everybody was trained for everything. Basically, you had to learn spacewalking. And so the training is not really that specific, to be honest. Everybody kind of has to do everything. There may be some specific payloads or spacewalk stuff, but mostly it's all the same. Talk to me about extended times in space and the impact on your body, because you hear about it and you hear that when you're out in outer space for that period of time, that it does have an impact. So talk to me about the impact that you had, especially being outside of the Earth's gravity for almost for three quarters of a year. So it has a big impact. It mostly is reversible when you get back to Earth. A big effect is with your bones and muscles, because even sitting here right now and getting some exercise fighting gravity and in space, you don't ever get that. So that's one, but that can be counteracted with exercise. And then when you get back to earth, it takes a couple days or a couple weeks, and then you're back to normal. One of the things that happens is the fluid that's down in my legs right now floats up. So your face gets really puffy. You can see people looking funny in space. And that puffiness goes away when you come back to earth, but it also smashes your cells and your eyes. So some astronauts have had problems with their eyesight getting worse in space and then not getting better when they got back to earth. It's pretty rare, but we they've studied that a lot. The biggest issue in space is radiation and that can damage DNA in your cells and that can cause cancer. And so the, the radiation is something that we haven't solved. The only way to solve it is block it, which is hard to do because lead is really heavy and it's expensive to launch into space. Water works okay. And spending less time in radiation is the other thing to do. So the radiation is probably the biggest effect and it's unseen and NASA really doesn't know. They don't study like, how's your DNA before and after you go into space? So it's kind of an unknown. One other thing that, and I don't know if you know the answer to this, but you know, just recently NASA announced the new space mission that's going to be coming up of sending the astronauts again around the moon. And I don't know if you're, if you know, but for a mission like that, 
How does that differ for the training that they would have to go through to be able to do that type of a mission versus the type of missions that you were on? It's very, very, very different. They're just going to be in a small capsule for a week or 10, I don't know how long it'll be, maybe 10 days. They'll have a few science experiments, but it won't be very many. They're not going to land. They won't, the first mission won't do a spacewalk or anything like that. So that mission is going to be very different. How to, how to run the capsule, you know, make sure the navigation is correct will be a big thing. During launch and re-entry, there's not really anything to do. And like an abort and you had to get out of the capsule quickly, they'll have to practice that. So yeah, the, the training that those folks are going to do is going to be very different. If I were them, I would spend a lot of time in front of a moon atlas just so I would know which craters to look for, you know, kind of know what I was going to see because it's going to happen fast. They're just going to go around it once and come right back. And it's in a capsule with a little window. So those four people are going to be like, let me look, get out of the way. They're going to be piled up in line at the window to look outside. Now, you talked about liftoff and indefinitely it's something that has to be a bit awe-inspiring. And I guess, talk to me about that. What is it like to go through that liftoff process and to be able to take that period of time to go from being vertical on the launch pad and then shooting straight up to be able to get into outer space. That's pretty awesome. There's a whole chapter in the Astronaut's Guide that talk about, and I have a couple of other books too. There's a book called How to Astronaut that's a collection of 51 short essays. It's fun, random topics about space travel. So that's kind of my adult version of this book. I'm hesitant to say adult book, but it's for grownups and teenagers who read. But launch is something that I was amazed. I was kind of blown away. I mean, I had been a test pilot. I flew F-16s in Iraq. I'd done all kinds of stuff. And when I heard the shuttle's engines come to life, I remember thinking, wow, something big is about to happen. And then boom, the solid rocket motors light off and you're shaking and you're immediately smashed back in your seat. It's like being in a supercar where you just slam on the gas and you get thrown back. But it goes on for eight and a half minutes. You know, in the Tesla, you do that. And a few seconds later, you're at top speed. Well, not in a rocket. It's eight and a half minutes of that. So it's crazy. It's a huge adventure. The shuttle was really awesome. It was such a massive, large thing. And I was in the front seat. I had a beautiful view out the window. The Soyuz, you're in a can. And literally, there's a big metal. They call, the Russian word is abyukatol that, that covers you up because the air pressure, you get like 500 knots of wind. That's not good on the capsule. So a couple minutes, maybe two and a half minutes after launch, you're out of the atmosphere by that point. And then the, the metal clamshell comes off and you can sort of see, but there's like a little, like I said, in the capsule, you don't have good windows. It's like a little hatch window that you can look up. And we launched at four in the morning. So even after the abyukatel came off, I couldn't see anything. It was still pitch black, but launching is pretty cool. I highly recommend it if you ever get a chance. You've been in outer space now, like like I said, a few times. Not a lot of people have had that opportunity in their lives, and not many will have that opportunity in their lives unless things drastically change. What learned most as an astronaut, as someone that has spent time in outer space, that has helped you to better frame who you are as an individual? Well, I think that, like I talked about earlier, that perspective of just looking out and seeing the universe and like seeing the planet. It is a beautiful planet. I helped make an IMAX movie called A Beautiful Planet. Highly recommended if you're into space. It was some of the best imagery you can get. And at nighttime, you turn the lights off, let your eyes adjust and look out into the galaxy. And there's just billions of stars out there. I could never pick out any constellations or anything. There's so many stars. So that gives you perspective. 
And some people are like, oh yeah, we're just insignificant. And I never, I don't think that's true at all, but it just keeps it in, things in perspective. Not as though like we're all dust in the wind and we don't matter, but just, I think, like I said earlier, to not get too fired up about things and and I'm not impressed by celebrities. I'm impressed by people who do good things. And also to have another thing I've learned in life and maybe being an astronaut help, there's people who are genuine and they're trying to do good things and they're creating and there's a lot of good genuine people out there. And there's a lot of not good genuine people out there, especially in our political environment today. There's so much noise and division and angst and hatred. And so if there's people like that, they're probably not the right people for the job <laughs> because although I loved being in space at the bottom line is when we get that stuff right, our, our politics, then we can have a good thriving democracy, which is great. And when we don't get it right, really bad stuff happens. And so that was another perspective that I came away with. I think one final thing that I, I want to go back to, you talked about the fact that you spent time in France, your daughter's in France now, your daughter got you interested more in food because of her interest in food. Now, as you're in outer space, though, I don't know that you can be that great of a gourmand in regards to, at least from what I hear. So talk to me a bit about what you eat while you're in space and potentially how it's potentially gotten better from the early days to now. You know, the, uh, there's a chapter about life in space in the astronaut's guide. So some of the food is like military food. It's called MREs. It comes in a vacuum sealed pack. You rip it open and you can eat it. You can warm it up if you want, but you don't have to. Meat, vegetables, desserts, soups. There's a lot of different food like that. And then another category of food is called rehydratable or dehydrated food. So it's in little vacuum sealed, clear plastic packs and you put it in a machine and it fills it up with water and you wait about 10 minutes and then it's meat or vegetables or desserts or whatever you can rehydrate. And then some of the food is just off the shelf. And so like I had chocolate covered blueberries and beef jerky and olive. They're these little olive packs. I just had one yesterday on um, flying on United Airlines. They have these little snack packs and it's the same olive pack that I had when I was in space. So the food was actually pretty good. It's not as good as it is down here on earth, but it was pretty good. Like I'm in Omaha doing a speech tonight and had this great steak last night. Well, yeah, you don't really get that in space, but it was pretty good. I could not, I did not complain. When the difference in gravity, talk to me about how that impacts other aspects of your body, because I'm sure that it impacts, like if you get a cut in space, how do you deal with that really quickly? Because I'm sure that coagulation may not work the same way. That's a great point because a lot of times you'll bump into something and then you end up with random cuts sometimes in space, but actually coagulation does work well. In fact, if it didn't, like a cut would, you'd bleed out. I mean, and some kids have that problem. That's a disease you get on earth, but thankfully coagulation works the biggest, well, your dizziness in your head is really messed up for the first day. My first day in space was absolutely miserable. My second day in space was miserable. I had the worst headache I've ever had. And you, I could only move my head like really slowly about this fast because your brain, there's, there's three parts of your balance system. There's eyesight. Like when you look out, I can tell what's up and what's down. There's somatosensory. So I can tell I'm sitting in a chair because my butt feels pressure. So that tells my brain which way is down. And then if you close your eyes, you have this neurovestibular system. There's three perpendicular semicircular canals. And the space shuttle and F-16s, they have the same system. They're called rate gyro sensors. And it can tell if you're pitching up or pitching down. 
in space, you you have visual, but you don't have somatosensory because there's no weight. You don't feel where the ground is. And then your semicircular canals are not working right. I had on my long duration flight, I would close my eyes and I was pitching down and rolling left and yawing right immediately. As soon as I closed my eyes, that's what I felt like. And then as soon as I opened them, that would stop. And that went on for months. And that signal wiring to my brain was just the brain can't figure it out because that piece of data is not there. So anyway, that was a long answer, but it was pretty fascinating. And it took me, I remember the third, my third morning in space, it was like a light switch. All of a sudden I felt fine. And then when I went back five years later on a Russian Soyuz, I felt fine from day one. Like my brain had been wired and it remembered. I wasn't sure if it would or not, but mine did. I guess for one final thing, and I'm sure that people have questions about this too, is that is sleeping. And when you are in space, I mean, you're surrounded in in darkness Mm -hmm. as well as, I mean, you do see, you'll see the sun and you'll see the moon and you'll see the stars and you'll see things like that. But then at the same time, you have a lack of gravity. So talk to me about how does sleep work and how is your body affected in regards to sleep? Because it is so important for our bodies and for ourselves, but I'm sure that it's a bit different in space. I was really worried about that because like, am I going to be able to sleep? And I slept just fine. I was exhausted because we worked a lot. I mean, it was a lot of work, very long. You get in a sleeping bag. I like to get my arms and everything in the sleeping bag because it kind of feels like you have a a blanket on or whatever. Um, Put on like blinders and earplugs because so your crewmates don't wake you up. And then I would just go to sleep on my station flight, I I would put on some Bose headsets and listen to interstellar soundtrack or sounds from earth. We had like rain soundtrack that I would listen to. That was great to go to sleep with that, but it works really well on the shuttle. You'd have to find a wall or a ceiling or something and clip your sleeping bag on the station. You had your own sleep station. It was kind of like a phone booth. And so you could just float in there, but yeah, sleeping in space was pretty awesome. Well, we always finish our interviews with what I like to call our fatherhood five, where I ask you five more questions to delve deeper into you as a dad. Are you ready? Sure. In one word, what is fatherhood? Love. What was the time that you finally felt like you succeeded at being a father to a daughter? When she went off to college, independent, knowing what she wanted to do. Like she's basically me, the female version of me. <laughs> so seeing her go off to college and thrive, I'm like, yeah, she's going to be okay. If I was to talk to your kids. How would they describe you as a dad? Probably distracted because I'm always busy doing so many different things. Who inspires you to be a better dad? My kids. You talked a lot about things in your own life. As we're finishing up today, what advice would you give to every dad? Time is moving and it's not going to stop. And so and life happens and you have to pay the taxes and you have to go to work and all that stuff has to happen. But, you know, take advantage of the moments that you can. You know, one of the things that I wanted to do is take my son to the Hall of Fame, the baseball. We're, we're really into baseball and it never happened. And now he's at med school, married with a kid. And so I think this summer I'm just going to take a day. We're just going to fly to upstate New York and go see it. I'm going to go pick up my daughter after her semester in France and we're just going to drive around Europe for a couple of weeks. And so. When you have a chance to do those things, you have to do it. It doesn't need to be a fancy trip to Europe. It can be, you know, growing up, we used to go to Sonic after practice, just things like that. Take advantage of them because they're going to be gone pretty soon. (laughs) So 
always have that perspective. Now, Terry, I know the book is out there and people can find it. Where's the best place for the people to go if they want to learn more about the book or about you? I like to support indie bookstores. So if there's a local bookstore, please order it there. If not, you can get it at Barnes & Noble or Amazon, The Astronaut's Guide or How to Astronaut is the grown-up book. I've got a website called terryverch.com. I'm also on social media, Astro Terry or Astro underscore Terry on Instagram. So they can follow some of the stuff I'm doing and see what I'm up to. Terry, I just want to say thank you. Thank you for sharing your journey today as a dad, but also your journey as an astronaut and talking to me today about all of this. This has been a pleasure to have you here and I wish you all the best. Thank you for having me on. It was fun. We know that no child comes with an instruction manual and most dads are figuring it out as they go along. And the Fatherhood Insider is full of resources and information that will up your game on fatherhood. Through our extensive course library, interactive forum, step-by-step roadmaps, and more, you will engage and learn with experts, but more importantly, dads like you. So check it out at fatheringtogether.org. If you are a father of a daughter and have not yet joined the Dads with Daughters Facebook community, there's a link in the notes today. Dads with Daughters is a program of Fathering Together. Find out more at fatheringtogether.org. We look forward to having you back for another great guest next week, all geared to helping you raise strong, empowered daughters and be the best dad that you can be. We're all in the same boat And it's full of tiny screaming passengers We spend the time We give the lessons We make the meals we buy them presents Bring your A-game Cause those kids are growing fast The time goes by just like a dynamite blast Calling astronauts and firemen Carpenters and muscle men Get out and be the world to them Be the best you can be You're the best That you can be